Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. Father, we come before you this morning and we really ask that you'd anoint our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Shape us, Lord God, by your spirit and by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And uh, just so you know, I've been to two Catholic funerals in the last week, and you're getting off easy on the standing up deal, okay? (laughs) No slam intended. Love them. Great people. Um, So we've been in a series, and we're in the midpoint of what's been a three-part series entitled Generations. And I just wanted to speak to three different generational groups. The first one was the teen and 20s. We spoke last week about the spirit of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon, the grandson of David, who wrote most of the Psalms. And um, Rehoboam decides he is more enamored with his own generation's viewpoint than he is of the older generation. So he rejects the elders' guidance and, uh, in his arrogance, destroys the kingdom, basically, including his own heritage and his own legacy. And so we talked about the importance of uh, teens and 20s uh, listening, or at least seeking out, or or learning from uh, the older generation. And um, today, I want to talk to you about the spirit of Eli, and we're going to be talking to those of you that are in the 30s and 40s range or so. And um, one of the things I think that we have to look is this: if 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 the Scripture encourages younger people to look to elders for direction or insight, then you're the ones they're most likely to engage with. At 30s and 40s, you can still play sports. You still have some flexibility. You still have some technical backgrounds. And so the question I have simply is this. When they look to you, whether they're your own kids or someone else's, what do they see? What are they, what are they, what are they drawn to? What, what do they glean when they engage you in conversation? Do you even stop long enough to be aware of that or to engage them. It's been said in the past that any movement of God is three generations away from extinction. And it's based actually on some of the characters we've been discussing here, the idea that David was the one that had this passionate relationship with God and as a result followed his law. Then he had Solomon, his son, who didn't have that relationship but still followed the rules. There's many of us who are one step removed from our parents' passion, so we still follow the rules, we still look good, but there's no real relationship with God. And then the final generation, Rehoboam, that followed neither the rules nor had any kind of relationship with God. Solomon, that middle generation that we're talking to today, was the weakest link in that sequence and in that process. So we need to look at that today. And, and while this is somewhat attempting, uh, addressing parents, it's not exclusionary in any way to parents. But let's start there. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this pleases the Lord. This is a great scripture. Parents, we love this passage right here. We could stamp it on the forehead of every kid that we got. 
Obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. But the verse goes on. Fathers, and you can translate that as parents in the translation, it can work that way easily enough. So parents, do not embitter your children or they're going to become discouraged. We have power and and authority, but if we use that in such a way to just drive and control, um, then what it does is it creates some bitterness. They may have to bend to us for a season of time, and we don't have to obey our parents for all time. We need to honor our parents. But once we reach adulthood and out of their house, then we no longer need to obey, but we do need to honor for good all that time. But there's an embitterness if that power and control is just driving things. I've said this over the years. I'll say it again. Here's my one contribution to parenting is that you basically have two indicators or two levers, if you will. One is control, the other one's relationship. When these children first come to you, you have total control, but really no relationship. You may have some love, but you still don't know their character or personality, and they don't know you other than somebody who feeds them and wipes them, usually in that order. In parenting, this control issue needs to change, and ideally in the same connection with the relationship, that eventually we no longer have control over these children. If we do, when they're in their latter years, 20s, 30s, 40s, something's dysfunctional there, and I've seen that before. What has to happen is the control needs to drop, but the relationship needs to increase. At one point in time, the control goes away, but the relationship can get deeper and richer. I no longer control, per se, my sons. But our relationship is such that they still talk to me and engage me on things that they do right or things they do wrong. And there's still that relational connection that's in place. Power by a parent or by any generational mix upon younger ones may be managed for a while, but ultimately it creates bitterness, the scripture says. Ephesians chapter 6 breaks it down a little broader. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, kids. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise. And he's quoting this next portion from Deuteronomy 5.16. So that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. You want to enjoy long life on the earth and go well, then you need to get along with your folks. You need to honor them. You may not have to always obey them, but you should always honor them as your parents. But then it continues on again. So frustrating. Why don't they just stop there? He keeps writing. Why don't you just put the pen down? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Whatever. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Not power plays, not mind games, but in grace, releasing control, increasing relationship, not just with yourself, but increasing relationship with God. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, is what it says. I'll I'll give you a side thing here, too. Be careful about favoritism, parents. This one's just a freebie tossed in, no charge. Genesis Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 and 4 says, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And that passage ends up with saying that the sons then hated that brother. I've seen this where one kid plays the the, the nice guy, and the other one ends up being stuck entirely in, in the bad guy mode and can't ever get out of it. Don't have favorites in the process. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, said these commandments, this instruction I give you today, are beyond your hearts, on your hearts, parents, on your hearts, adults. 
Then we're to impress them on our children. Talk them on when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you, t- when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. The Jews took this so seriously. They put this scripture, this specific scripture, and they'd put it in a little leather box and they'd wrap it on their, on their wrists and they'd put it on their foreheads to drive home the fact that they were supposed to be this way. They were supposed to teach their kids, not using power or anything else like that, but to actually instruct them and guide them. Let's go on here a little bit before as we get into this instruction portion. Psalms 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everyone in it. This is very important. The world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. Let me me have you hit one of the words here at least for me. Just one of the words I want you to read and finish off the portion here. The the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and All. 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 There's no exceptions on that. All who live in it. And to get very specific, in Ezekiel chapter 18, verses, verse 4, it says, Behold, all souls are mine, God says, and the soul of the father or mother, as well as the soul of the son or the daughter, is mine. First biblical truth, you do not own your kids, God does. They're on loan to you for whatever season of time, and you're to be a steward of them. They're not an extension of your personality. They have their own uniqueness. And you're a steward of that. First biblical truth, you don't own your kids, God does. Second biblical truth, you don't own yourself, God does. He owns all the souls, it says, in all the world. You need to understand this before you do anything else. Once we get these things out of focus, things get to be really messy. But keep that in focus and things become clear. This generation that we're dealing with today, this younger one, is a very, very different type of generation. My generation, most of the ones that came before, we elevated facts over feelings. This generation elevates feelings over facts. If it doesn't feel good to me, it's not real or not true. That's a struggle to engage and to deal with that. It's a real challenge for those of us who were raised a different way. This generation, this younger one, they grew up with the Internet, I mean, an amazingly, blazingly fast internet. I still remember dot matrix printers, and that means nothing to anyone under 50 for the most part. They're used to the regular presence of cell phones. This is part of their life. Some of us still recall when the phones were attached to a wall. And it's changing parenting, because when it was attached to the wall, you, if you were fortunate, young people, you had a long cord, like 30 feet, and you'd drag it into your bedroom and listen on the phone. But your parents knew you were doing it, would say, and start pulling that phone out and put it back on the wall, stop talking. But nowadays, you can explore the entire planet, including its darkest parts in the privacy of your own room. The rise of social media. The breaking down of our societal norms, the gender confusion alone. So that in many ways, we no longer know who we are. If any generation needs instruction today, it's this younger generation. But what do they see when they turn to you or to me? For parents of preteens, the studies have said that less than 2% of those parents have a biblical worldview. And we know already, we've said this many times, only 6% of Christians as a whole have a biblical worldview. We borrow from all these things or we're confused ourselves. If you aren't yourself established in a biblical worldview in your own understanding of God, how can you hope in any way to pass that down to another generation? 
for the most part, we're just trying to tread water here, right? We're just trying to stay alive here, managing our time and everything else. And I understand that. I truly, truly do. But somewhere there has to be a decision that's made at some point that you make a decision as to how you're going to operate. Joshua had to face this. And as he's giving up his, his control, his power position within the community, he makes a final statement to the community at large in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. He says, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you'll serve. Make your own call. Whether it's the God your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, or the gods of ESPN, or of the talent circuit, or whatever the case may be, serve whatever God you're going to serve. But as for me and my household, we will what? That's a strong statement. Do you really believe that or follow that within your own household structure? Will you serve the Lord? We don't care, but it's for me and my household. We will serve the Lord. There's a, a, a book that was made into a movie twice, at least, that I know of, entitled Raisin in the Sun. It's taken from a poem that Langston Hughes, incredible black poet of years past, talking about hope deferred becomes like a raisin in the sun. It's about a black family that's walking through the changes that are going on. The father has died, the, the patriarch, but the matriarch still is holding everything together. At one point in time, her, her daughter, who is striving to become a doctor, the brightest of the gang there in many ways, um, and she said, and the mother says, well, if God's willing, and the, and the daughter just kind of goes off and says, I'm tired of hearing about God. You know, it's not, God's just an idea. He's just a thought. In today's society, um, you know, it, 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 we're the ones that make the difference. And she's caught with this whole modern perspective. And in one of the movies, the, the, the mother gra- gathers herself with incredible dignity and strength and walks over to the daughter and says, I want you to repeat this, after, repeat this after me. In my mother's house, there is still God. And as the daughter kind of recoils to it, the mother takes a step that I don't advise, but she slaps the girl upside the face, gets her attention, and after a long pause, looks her in the eyes and says, I want you to say, and the daughter backs up and says, in my mother's house, there is still God. I don't recommend the violent aspect whatsoever, but the idea that this mother was going to make a statement that regardless of what's happening out there and wherever anybody else goes, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And in this house, there is still God. I think is a huge issue to say. How does that translate then out into some practical aspects? I'm going to try and say this next portion calmly. I've not done this calmly in the past. I've done this somewhat um, energetically, so I'm trying to be mellow about this right now. Understand that. But I do not understand this. When I was growing up, I was told I had to go to school. I would complain about the teacher. I would complain about the the course that I didn't like. It was algebra. I would complain sometimes about the students. It was Flint. I didn't like a lot of the aspects of it. It didn't matter. My parents' priority for me was not to let me choose that, but that I was going to get an education. We sit here and we say... Our students maybe say, I don't like the students that go to our youth ministry, or I don't like the teacher that's at the youth ministry. I don't like the subject of the youth ministry. And then we say, well, you don't have to go then. Don't worry about it. 
So education is of preeminent importance that they learn algebra, but not that they learn the ways of God, not that they're required to attend a service at some point. Well, that's just going to real bitterness and rejection. How do you know? You haven't tried it. But whether it does or doesn't, that's the choice of the individual as to how they react to it. But as parents and as those in authorities, it's ours to establish that. To say in the same way that we emphasize schooling or anything else, that we're going to emphasize a gathering and understanding of the things of God. I, I saw something recently that said 12 parenting ways to guarantee your kid's failure. And I'm not going to give you all 12. One of them said take his part or her part against neighbors, teachers, and police officers. They're all prejudiced against your child. That's going to guarantee you they're going to screw up. But one of the other ones said this, never give them any spiritual training. Wait until they're 21 and then let them decide for themselves. We don't for so many other things why this. Now, ultimately, they do have to decide for themselves, but unless you put them in the position of understanding. And fathers, you need to have, I won't even go into this, the, the, the huge importance of your involvement in church. The stats show massively how it impacts a child's spiritual development. But I'm not going to talk to you fathers, and I'll tell you the reason why. Because Father's Day is coming up. And Rob Marcus is speaking. He's all yours. Ignoring church, ignoring spiritual discipline and training, whether it's a youth group or whether it's a Sunday service, is a serious mistake. It disables the family. It's been said this, if you don't make a habit out of going to church each Sunday, you shoot yourself in the foot, your children in the leg, and your grandchildren in the heart. It echoes down through the generations. As long as my kids are in my house, they will attend church. When they're out of my house, they'll make a decision as to what they'll do. And then if they don't attend church, I'll call them and rag with them over a cell phone. That's what cell phones are for. Okay? But that'll be their choice. Okay, I'm trying to calm down. This generation is uniquely open to being mentored, this younger generation they are relationally driven. Numerous reports have shown that one-on-one -on -one mentoring between adults and youth is something that is desired. But specifically, they respond to what is called relational authority, which means authority that is not based on hierarchy or titles so much as a genuine interest in young people as individuals. Four in five Gen Z members surveyed said they were likely to take guidance from adults who cared about them. I'll engage with the young people at different points, and, and, and a lot of times when I'm there, I'm introduced as the lead pastor of the church, and I can see that it means absolutely nothing to them. There's no sense of, <gasps> it's more like, yeah, whatever. But the moment I sit down with any individual, one of them, and I start to talk to them or start to encourage them or start to hear their heart and voice, the eyes shift and the attitudes change. This report pinpointed five values that characterize this relational authority. Listening, transparency, integrity, care, and expertise. And here's the importance of that list. It's specific in its direction. Expertise comes last intentionally on the list because 65% of young people say an adult's expertise doesn't matter unless the adult cares for them. Listening comes first in establishing a genuine non-transactional relationship. And so... 
listening before anything. But as adults, we always want to tell them. Listening. Transparency. Integrity. Care. And then expertise. It's important, but it's the last of the things on the list. Quickly, the spirit of Eli. We talked about Rehoboam last time. The spirit of Eli is simply this. Eli um, was one of the uh, second to the last judge of Israel. So there were judges that, that were prophet types that directly heard from God and directed the people. No monarchy in place. And the two last in the sequence were Eli and then Samuel. So Eli is the priest and the judge that's ruling Israel or directing Israel and guiding them at this time. Um, Samuel is a kid. His mom couldn't have a child, prayed to God, has a child, and so she dedicates Samuel to the temple, but goes beyond the simple dedication of acknowledging God and him as a gift, literally gives him over. And so he's raised up in the temple. She sees him a couple times a year or so, but he lives in the temple and is raised up as a priest under Samuel's guidance. At one point in time, uh, um, Samuel's sleeping, and he hears someone calling him. So he goes, gets up, runs over to, to Eli, and says, what do you want? And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. Eli goes back to bed, or Samuel goes back to bed. He gets woken up again, runs over to Eli. What do you want? He says, just go back to bed. Third time he gets up and walks over and, and, and hears it again. Eli's picking up on him. He says, wait a minute. Okay. <clears throat> I'm not the one calling you. God is calling you. Next time, say, your servant is listening. And so he's given instruction by God as a young man. Young people, it's important you have your own relationship with God, your own experiences with God. Unfortunately, the message he gets is one that relates to Eli. Eli says, tell me the full truth the next day. What, what was it? And he tells him the full truth. He says, your, your, your sons are out of control, and uh, so your household's not going to last, and they're going to die, and it's, it's not going to be pretty. Well, why was this? Well, we find it in 1 Samuel chapter 2.17. Eli had these sons, he says, but he had these sons that were doing some pretty bad things. They were sleeping around real bad. They were sexual immorality, but a lot of it had to do with um, the Lord's offering. And in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17, it says, This sin of the young men of his two sons, was, or several sons, was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. And so in 1 Samuel 3.13, um, For I told him that I would judge his family, God speaking forever, because of the sin he knew about. But his sons blasphemed God, and he failed to what? He failed to restrain them. The anger of his sons and the displeasure or brokenness of the relationship with his sons was of more import to him than the breaking of relationship or the anger of God. And so when he said, you guys need to stop this, really, like, it's not good. Quit. Please stop. And they just blew him off. And he, he didn't sit here and say, no, by the authority of me as the judge of Israel and by the name of God, you're going to stop right now. That's over. But he didn't do it. His relationship with his kids mattered more than his relationship with God. The displeasure of his children meant more than the displeasure of God. I love this younger generation, but they are not the ones that are to be in control of things. There's a time and a place for things. They do not dictate those things. They are to come alongside. We gather together. Together we work those things out. I don't think any generation should control or drive. But we worship youth in the society to such a degree and we elevate it to such, a, to such a way that every trend we need to follow and we don't. He failed to restrain them and as a result of that, he loses not only his household, but he, he's, he's, he's viewed as, as someone that God says, that's not a good thing, we're setting that aside. 
Samuel, incidentally, grew up in that same household. Different heart, but same results as he has kids. Real quickly, 1 Samuel 8, 8, chapter 8 says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, second was Abijah. Both of them had two sons. Both of them went into leadership. But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, accepted brides, and perverted justice. It looks like they followed his ways, like he was direct with them. But then as he gets older, and they're given responsibilities, they went a different direction. You can parent your heart out. We can, as an older generation, care deeply and passionately for the younger generation. But at the end of the day, younger generation, you are responsible. All generations are ultimately responsible for God and to God. Adam and Eve had the best parent in the planet, in the universe, and they still went off the generation, off the reservation. Some of you who have had kids or have situations that are breaking your heart, where you're at fault, you need to own that. Where you've exasperated, then you need to own that. But where they've just chosen a different path, you need to realize they chose that. It doesn't mean you stop praying or stop caring. Eli and Samuel both had two kids. Both sets of kids go off. Samuel's in a later time when he's weaker in his age. But they both went off. But Eli is addressed by God because he put God's relationship second. Samuel is honored even in his old age. Do not have the spirit of Eli. Restrain your children or address them. But most importantly, put your relationship with God first. And then your relationship with your children, your spouse, anything else after that. One thing was striking me as we were talking last week, and I want to interject it into this conversation now. Some of us are not parents. We're never going to have contact with, parent, with children, per se, as our, our own or anything of that nature. But we still have an influence. We're still shaping that younger generation. They're still looking to you. And I was reminded last week of a really important issue. We talked about Josiah, this young man who, who, despite his generational background and baggage, has a passionate desire from God from the time he's 16. Josiah goes on and serves for a number of years as king. He dies in his latter 40s. He still serves the Lord, but he makes a bad call. He gets involved in a battle and a fight he's not supposed to get involved in. He's killed as a result of that battle, and ultimately Israel then is taken over by a different nation. A couple of guys are carried off at this time. Their ages would have been anywhere from 8 to 13 or 16 at the latest. A guy named Daniel, you may have heard of him. He's the greatest prophet practically that ever lived. You may have heard him in the context of a lion's den at one point in time. Um, uh, three other boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their Babylonian names, their, their uh, Jewish names had been set aside, but they never forgot their identity or who they were. You might remember them. They were tossed into a fiery furnace one time for refusing to bow down. These four young men, amongst others, were ones who would have come up under Josiah's reign and his reformations. They probably had no direct engagement with him. They were not his children, but because of his stance as a godly king, They were shaped by it, so much so that when they're carried off into captivity, all four of those young men, ages 8 to 16, but raised up in the environment and their parents above them of Josiah's uh, direction and reforms, all of them stood against the dominant culture of their day and would not bow down and serve God. Josiah shaped these young men to stand against the dominant culture of their time, even though they likely, as I said, had no direct contact with them. 
You in your 30s and 40s, you have a way of shaping things. You have more dynamic aspects than practically any other group. You're, you're, you're old enough to have resources and have some sense of confidence and awareness of who you are. And yet not old enough to have lost your passion or your direction. What are you doing with that time? What are you doing with the, with the energy and the drive and all the things that you've been given? Are you considering the things of God and putting that first and foremost? Or are you buying virtual tennis shoes? When Dwight said that the other day, I actually looked up the article, and I don't know, Dwight, if you knew this or not, but, but one of those pairs of shoes sold for $630,000. Do you know that? Oh, my gosh. $630,000. Let's understand, folks, they're not real. They're virtual shoes. They're skins that you put on your virtual person in the metaverse. They're investing in, 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 a, in, a, in a lack of reality. But I think a brilliant concept that was applied yesterday is the same thing that applies for us today. What are we putting into in a world that is not meant to last. We laugh at the virtual reality people, but what are we investing here? We're told this world will not last. Lewis writes about this as the shadow lands. This is simply the shadow of things to come. We get in heaven and we think we're going to have these little harps and these puffy little clouds. That's ridiculous, though I do think in hell you'll probably get an accordion. That's just my thought. And my father played accordion, and I, and I, I understand, okay, but just, just me, all right? Heaven is going to be the most realistic, dynamic, genuine thing you'll have ever experienced in your entire eternal life. Vibrancy of colors and tastes and sounds and, and emotions that, that are beyond belief. It's, it's like taking a, an, an old black and white TV with the rabbit ears with the tin foil that you had to play with and changing that into the most high 8K, 5,000K thing you're going to get. Only more so because it's real. But we invest what we invest now in these shadow lands. Do you know the only thing that's going to last for eternity? And it's not Nike virtual shoes. The only thing that lasts for eternity are souls. The souls of young people. The souls of middle-aged people. The souls of older people. Souls of the gray hairs and the souls of the no hairs. It's those souls. So what are you doing with yours 30, 40-somethings? And obviously this echoes out to all the generations. What are you doing with that? Where do you stand in the midst and where are you investing your time and your energy? Are you Rehoboam just chasing after culture? Are you Solomon keeping the rules in a general sort of way but there's no passion? Or are you David? This is why Josiah went back to his great, 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 great grandfather, David, and his passion. Not perfection, but passion. David made his mistakes but he had a passion for God. You want to see young people get lit? Let the older generations burn for God. And that will start a fire amongst them. The passion we have will do that, but knowledge-based titles, it's not going to do that. So where are you, generation? 
in your relationship with God? How are you walking even now? And those of you with parents with kids, I know how challenging that can be. I understand that. Don't let that preoccupy you so much that you don't have a relationship with God. And don't treat your kid altogether. Take them aside. I'm spending a couple of days with my son. He's getting married this year. I'm getting spending time alone with him for a few days. Renee's taken off uh, both of our sons at different times. We've each spent different times with them. Because there's a different dynamic when you're one-on-one than you're with the whole crowd. Make space for that. But all that stuff aside, all other generations, all other placements aside, if the younger generation is being asked to have their own relationship with God or to look to you, then, then what do we have to offer? In a few moments' time, we're going to participate in communion. Our communion is an open communion. It's available to anyone who's a follower of Christ. It doesn't matter whether you are young. It doesn't matter whether you're old. It doesn't matter whether you're really, really, really old. This table is available for anyone. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're not, then you can let it pass you by. Or you can decide today yourself what you will do with God. For those of us that will take of this today, we've all come to the same place. We all come to face the fact that all our tennis shoes and all our good deeds and all our cars and all the rest of the stuff will not gain us access to a holy God who can't tolerate even a, a, a quantum element of sin, let alone what we carry. And so we've come at some point in time, whether in a service like this, whether in a quiet place, in a different place, And we've knelt before him and we've said, like Isaiah said, Whoa, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. God, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And then we look in a distance and we see the cross, the cross that meant shame and meant degradation and execution. That's what it always meant. But somehow in a single action of a man who sacrificed himself on that cross, not just a man, but God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, sacrificing himself for all of mankind for all time while lambs are being slaughtered, he's the one that slaughtered for all time and then dies and resurrects again. And now that cross that meant shame and degradation now means hope and salvation. And so we've come to that cross and we've laid down who we are. And God's grace has been poured about upon us, which doesn't justify us continuing on in sin. And so we try to learn his ways and we try to understand so that we don't do those same things again. And so we stop those things. And so we please him more than any other relationship. First rule, your children, nor our young people, belong to us. They belong to God. But the second, which is really the first one, is you don't own yourself either. You and me are his children. He loves so much that he sought us out. You've heard the parable of the prodigal son. Think of it differently just for this moment of time. 
because we always think of it from our self viewpoint. Think of it as the parable of the loving and graceful Father who's waiting even today for you to come home and have that relationship. Begin there. And then everything else, everything else works out from that center, from that viewpoint, from that lens. But begin there. If you choose to do so, you can join us today in communion. If you are joining us in communion because you've already been there, then go back to that place and see how far you may have wandered. So... Father, we come before you as a people today of all generations. Lord, I, 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 I pray that there are individuals this morning that would, that would stop what they're doing and they're thinking this moment it would be captivated by you and by your cross. That they would, they would repent of their sin, submit it before you today, believe in you. Believe in you. Accept your grace and be saved today. This I pray, Lord, that there'd be individuals who'd pray that here today, whether young or old or really old. That together, Lord, we would come to your table this morning and find strength, nourishment, and encouragement. To this end, Lord, today, do we now come in your name. In Psalm chapter 78, I'll open my mouth with a parable. I'll utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation. The praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children that they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. And they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. In this house, there is still God. May it be so in your home as well. There'll be those available for prayer if you'd like to come forward. Um, If you'd like to linger, others just be considerate of that. But as the next generation behind us walks, what do they see? Father, I pray for our young people. God, there is so much insanity that they're having to deal with. Just unreal. So I lift them up, Lord. But I also lift up these 30s and 40s in the, in the prime of life who are driving forward and busy in so many different fashions and ways that they would not forget you in the midst of everything else, whether they have kids or not. And that there'd be a movement, a motivation amongst this age group to mentor some of these young people to be involved in youth ministry or in children's ministry to, to, to teach and reach out and instruct and encourage and lift up these young people, I pray. Guide us as a church to be your people, we pray. We come humbly before your face. Guide us in these things, I pray, in Jesus' name. And as church said,